0: But we are talking and finishing up on the 10 as we have been looking at uh, the 10 commandments. Exodus chapter number 20. And what we've been doing, and I'll do this one more time tonight, is we have not been reading this entire chapter. I have just been uh, rehearsing the commands, the ten commands, the actual command statements uh, for you. And then we've been diving into this and looking a little bit deeper and hopefully uh, maybe even shining a little new light on these commands. So we're going to start at verse number 1. Exodus 20, verse number 1 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And then he's going to start into these Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved or graven image. No, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And Israel often found themselves having great difficulty In this command, not all of these commands, but in this command they were constantly wanting to have something they could see to worship like the lands and nations that were around them. And therefore in the wilderness they made a gold calf. They took the bronze serpent that uh, was used of God mightily and turned it into an idol and many different things that they would do. Verse number 7 then gives us the third command and says you shall not Take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now We hit that as we talked about these. And, and last week I hit these. And, and notice where it says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. This is a command for everybody. But specifically he gives this command to those that he is they're God. They, they are His followers. They are walking with Him. Verse number 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you are given to work, seventh day you rest, even as God rested from creation. Verse number 12, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has. Is giving to you. We laughed about this a little bit last week, talking about how many of you were raised in a home that 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 command was well rehearsed in your ears. The Bible says you need to honor your father and mother so you'll live long on this earth. And so uh, uh, it is definitely a powerful, powerful uh, command. Verse 13, then, we ended up with this one last week you shall not murder. And we hit that, talked about that last week. So let's read these next four and let's jump into these. And I'll share with you a few things that I have to share. And then I'm heading towards this summation of uh, our series together uh, that we have been in. Verse number 14 says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And let's, let's go ahead and read verse number 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear you. We don't, we, we, it's too frightening for us to try to hear from God. We will hear you. And we know uh, that from that time forward, mankind has never truly been able to follow what God fully lays out in his law. We have talked about each week, I've just mentioned for you, there are so many people that want to tell us and say, well, we don't need to study these old laws, but, but they are important. And, and they definitely are. Uh, well, we live in the days of grace, but these are God's commands to God's people. We've talked about the fact that in the old covenant, we find societal governmental laws Uh, We find Israel's laws as a nation that they are to operate within. And God lays those out. We find the ceremonial laws in the Old Covenant. That is the Jewish laws that are ceremonial laws that all point. To Jesus, the sacrifice that is going to come. That is the laws that that are going to lay out the sacrifices that are going to be made. And the way they are going to be brought. And who is going to be offering them. And all of those kind of things. And then we come to these ten, which are the eternal laws. Or the, the moral laws of God. God revealing His character to us and His expectation to us. And so these are vital. These are important these are not to be downplayed. They are not ten suggestions by God. They, they are not, well, we can pick and choose what we like or what our current culture finds acceptable and, and we, can, we can live within those. No, we don't, we don't have that right to do that. These are the ways that God has called all people that are His, that call Him Lord, to conduct their life. And so we have looked through these, and we've kind of walked through these. And then what we found was in Matthew chapter 22, and you can find it there. You also can go over to Mark chapter 12. You can look in, in other places. Luke 10 kind of deals with it. But we find that Jesus was asked, what, are the, what is the greatest command? And Jesus takes the ten and narrows them down to two. And Jesus says, if you will love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with everything that is within you, and your neighbor as yourself. So he he really boils it down to one. The one command is love. If you will love God and you will love your neighbor as yourself. He then said, on these two hang All of the law and prophets. So Jesus takes the ten. He narrows it down to two as highest emphasis. Because if you follow the two, you keep the ten. And it fulfills all the rest that we read about in the word of God. And and so we are without excuse because God has made a way. And we're going to find that out At the very end tonight. So, as we teach the 10, we teach them through the lens of the two that Jesus has given us, and that is love God. With everything in you. That's that's what's important. You don't love God on your own terms. You don't love God with part of your life, with with part of, of your mind. You have to love God fully and completely, and you have to love your neighbor as yourself. And so they immediately did what people do, and they begin to say, Well, well, who is my neighbor? The two wasn't quite clear enough. Love God with everything in you. Love your neighbors yourself. They wanted a little more information. Well, who is my neighbor? Because surely there's people I can exclude from this. And Jesus goes into the parable of, People that are in need, anyone that we come up against and around is our neighbor. And if we will love God, love our neighbor as ourselves, then we will walk in the fullness of all of the rest of it. So let's let's dive into this tonight. Let's just see where we where we uh, land here tonight. If you remember, I told you on the second week. that that one thing the Lord had spoken to me during this study was the concept that there must be obedience first, then direction, blessing, and promotion can come into our lives from God. But there must be obedience first. God is looking for obedience from those that follow Him. He's not looking for perfection. We are unable to be perfect. Perfected in our flesh, in the flesh nature, we it's impossible. But God is looking for obedience. So if we will live our life faithful, and we're gonna talk about how we do that, but if we will live our life faithful over the ten, then all of the blessings and promises of God open up to our life. But we are not allowed to pick and choose. The way we want to live and then determine, okay now God, now you give me your blessing. That's not how this works. There is a way that we fulfill this, we live in this. And that way is only one way and that is through Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us. So we must live our life through Jesus Christ. Now I'm not going to go back anymore. We're going to begin to press forward. So Let's, let's jump into this, this fourth and final week with verse number 14. You shall not commit adultery. Now, on its face, we would understand that statement. Shall not commit adultery. He is dealing here with sexual impurities. He is dealing here because the The word adultery, you can break down the words adultery and fornication, and you can, you know, I people have taught well. Adultery is is sexual uh, issues that arise within a marriage, married people. While fornication is sexual issues outside of the bonds and boundaries of marriage as defined by God. But really, most often in the Word of God, when God speaks of adultery, He is speaking of all kinds of sexual uh, wickedness, sexual deviancy away from God's plan. How many of you understand? God is the creator of mankind and he made man, male and female. Amen. God made man does man never, never one time are we instructed that man chooses what they are there's no there there that is totally made up that that is a that is fashioned from the fallen nature and fallen mind of mankind in order to fit into their way of thinking that is not there is nowhere in scripture there is nowhere in 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 any understanding that you can even come close to where man chooses they are created male and female they are created that way biologically Right? I mean, they are created. You are created either male or female, and it's a biological creation. It's a physical creation. There are always um, anomalies and things that we don't fully understand, you know, because that's what always is brought up. Well, what about people that are this or that? But you can still find out whether they are biologically or they are genetically male or or female, it's, it's there because that's the way God has made us. And not only that, then God brought male and female, one man and one woman together, and that was His definition of marriage that then results in family, children. Now, but, but, like I said, we can, we can come up with everything in the world. People can come up with everything in the world. But don't try to claim it's in the Bible because it's not. When God speaks of marriage, never once does He speak of anything other than one man and one woman. Scripturally. Biblically. It's just not there. Like I said, you can... We, People can argue and come up with everything they want, but don't don't use the Bible as your argument for that because it's just not there. The whole counsel of God has to be observed. And so one man, one woman given in marriage, and then the sexual relation of marriage is for pleasure as well as procreation, but it is within the bounds of marriage. That's God's way. Um, any person that is offended by that is not offended by man or women or people. They are offended by God. If they don't agree with that, if, that, if that's something that's offensive to you, you're not offended because I said it. You are offended because God said it. So, so we, we have to deal with that. And so, so when God says, you shall not commit adultery... He is talking about sexual relationship, sexual encounters outside of the prescribed bounds, boundaries of marriage, one man and one woman. Outside of that, you fall into breaking that command. I don't, I don't know how to be any more plain than that or any more clear. I'm not here to bash anybody. I'm just saying, I believe God. And I believe God's word. And, and, and so, therefore, I'm going to declare what God has said. Because what God has said is true. And here's what we find to be true. Anything outside of that, anything that distorts that, anything that takes away from that has brought harm Destruction, ruin, upon people, upon families, upon social structures, upon it. It 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 is not because it is not the prescribed way of God. Therefore, it cannot carry the blessing of God. You want to? If we really wanted to be serious about the problems our culture faces, most often we would deal with the issues within our families. We, we, have, we have glossed over it. We don't want to talk about it because somehow we say, well, it's not fair because not everybody has the same opportunities, and I fully understand that. All families are different. But let me tell you, the majority of families, if there is a husband and a wife, There is a mother and a father that is active within the family in a loving relationship with one another and with the children that are produced. And especially if they are followers of God and followers of Christ, if you find that family, the vast majority of statistics tell us that that family will produce success. It's just... The way it is, and I know all the arguments people say. Well, we can't help it. It's just, it's just what people want to do, and you're not going to stop them from doing it. Well, that may be true, but that doesn't mean it's right. Amen. the truth still has to be taught. He did. And we're going to get there, yes. Yeah, I'm going there. That's, that's good. No, I'm, I'm uh, it, for those of you that couldn't hear that, said, and Jesus even takes this farther. And yes, he does. And we are going there in just a moment. So, so please hear that and understand. I know I'm, I'm teaching to the choir and I understand all of that, but there are people that need to hear this and we need to reaffirm our belief in God's ways. And we need to teach our children this. Now, are there people that don't have the advantage of a father and a mother in the home? Absolutely. Because there's a lot of people that have done things outside of God's plan. Right? And, and then the guy or... The woman or whatever decides, I don't want anything to do with this and head out because outside of God's plan. Well, the problem of with abortion in our society, the scourge of abortion. And we hit that just a little bit when we talked about the murder aspect because you're taking a life that is not yours to take. You're playing God. But the problem of abortion, the huge majority of the problem of, of abortion occurs as a result of sexual relationships outside of the boundaries of god's way of marriage amen so if we would get back to teaching this again we could begin to go a long way towards alleviating a lot of the issues that we find ourselves in amen now can god bless and can God, God is the giver of life. God has plans that we don't understand. Absolutely. There are many people I know that are a product of relationships that were outside of the boundary of God's plan and God's purpose. And God blesses and God uses and, and God uh, um, loves and God restores and God is called preachers. and God. So this has nothing to do with that. It's just simply the fact of the matter. This is God's way. And God says. Do not commit adultery. So outside of that. So homosexual, heterosexual, uh, whatever whatever, term in our world. Our world's got us arguing over names that don't even make sense. Rather than just speaking the truth of God's word. When we are caught up arguing over all that stuff, the enemy has got us distracted. God's word. Is plain. It's not hard to follow. Okay. So here's what Jesus said. Let's let's get there. Turn over with me in Matthew chapter number five. And you know, if if that's if somebody is watching or listening to this and that's shocking to hear somebody, then we have done a really poor job at not not teaching the truth. If that's shocking that a that a Bible-believing preacher would say something like that, then God forgive the Bible-believing preachers that that haven't spoken the truth on the matter. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 27. Here's what Jesus said, Sermon on the Mount. How many know that, that almost everybody concludes this is the greatest sermon ever preached? Would you... Would you agree with that statement? Jesus' sermon, his own words, Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached. I guess a lot of people don't read what is in the sermon because he doesn't he doesn't cut any corners in this sermon. I mean, he he lays it pretty bare there. He he's pretty bold. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not commit adultery. Have you heard that anywhere? I just read it to you just a few minutes ago. Jesus said, you've heard that one of those Ten Commandments was you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then he goes on and he really gets radical. Okay, and if you're not careful, people can take this way too far. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Then if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cast it from you for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, think about this. Jesus is teaching, he's he's using speech that is not intended to be taken as as just literal activities or else everybody would be running around with no hand and, and one eye or blind or whatever the case might be. But he is showing the significance and the importance of what he is saying. And he is saying it is better to enter into the kingdom of God without all that you uh, have come into life with than to break these commands and to live life your own way and go to hell. Amen. So Jesus is putting high value and high importance. And he's talking even to religious people who will point out everybody else's faults and failures. I mean, we can stand up here on our high horse and I can say, God says you shall not commit adultery. And I can, boy, I can point it at everybody else and beat them up. But Jesus said, don't get so religious in this. Don't don't point out everybody else's sin and failure. Don't, don't do all of that. Understand your own. Because this is a worldwide issue. An all people issue. So, we, we have to understand this. And so, it, the lust in our heart, Jesus deals with. Anybody glad that Jesus deals with it in our heart? Because if we can hear Him and deal with it in our heart, it, it doesn't have to go to the next level. Amen. And this keeps us from being judgmental towards other people. Because Jesus has taken it even now farther. So that, that shall not commit adultery. Jesus has laid a whole nother layer on top of that. If you even look upon one with lust in your heart, an unhealthy desire for them, a a ungodly attitude towards them, then then you're already there. It's just now if you continue down that path, how long before you step over other lines? That's really all that is being said there. We live in a world today that pornography is a huge issue. Just watching regular TV. We are, we are um, uh, confronted with things that in bygone years, I would have never dreamed of seeing on regular TV. Just put out, walking down the street Today Things are there for you to see and so this is not a light thing nor an easy thing and no one is exempt from this. We have to constantly be examining our heart. That's where we need to go with this. That's what we need to truly grab hold of. We need to grab hold of our heart, and we need to turn our hearts towards Christ. We need to love God with all of our soul, all of our mind, and love our neighbor as ourselves. We need to live in Christ for He is the only way that we can fulfill God's plan, God's purpose, God's law. We cannot do it in and of ourselves. And, and so we need to understand that the Word is full. And I'm not going to take the time to go there, but the Word is full of statements where the enemy entices us. That we, our own flesh nature Entices us away, drawn away, is what uh, James, I believe it is, would say. We we are enticed, and that 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 word, the scripture will talk about the being enticed, and that word means to attract artfully, or adroitly, or by arousing hope or desire. And it's happening all around us. So there's an enticing of the enemy, a tempting of the enemy. And, and it's happening all around. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery and unable to cease from sin. Enticing unstable souls. Having a heart exercised in covetousness. Children of a curse. And in verse 18 he says. For uttering great swelling words of emptiness. They entice in the lust of the flesh. By licentious those who are indeed escaping from those who live in error. So. This is not something to just be trifled with or to be played with. We are seduced if we're not cared. Do you know the enemy is a seducer? He pulls us away. He he, he's attempting to capture our hearts. To persuade, to seduce us, to persuade to disobedience or disloyalty. To lead astray by persuasion or false promises. Hmm. And we have that all throughout the scripture. Second command that we'll look at tonight. And I'm pressing on through this cuz I've got to get to this final part. Verse 15 tells us you shall not steal. Shall not steal. So, shall not commit adultery. And remember, he he's talking Jesus clarifies it in your heart. Your attitude, your mindset, your thought life. And then and then born out into your Walk in your way of living, and then you shall not steal. What is it to steal? Well, it's obvious it is to take what is not yours. <laughs> right? How I many would think that's a pretty clear definition of stealing? If you take something that is not yours, that means you have stolen that from somebody else. Right? I, I laugh. I tell the story, I, I don't know if I've told it in a while, but I, I remember as a pastor, not at this church, uh, the other church I pastored, um, we had, it was around Christmas time and we had someone uh, and they stood up and they gave a testimony of how they had really wanted a Christmas tree and couldn't find one they were driving down the road and all of a sudden there's just a Christmas tree all wrapped up, tied up, laying right there on the side of the road and they just thank God they had been wanting a Christmas tree they were able to take that home and have a Christmas tree and they shared a the testimony and then jokingly after they had shared that I probably shouldn't have said it it just kind of came out and I said yeah and that other family that it fell off their car they're all, all crying and sad because God didn't bless them with the tree that they had purchased but then when you take something that is not yours okay now what what can that be that can be all sorts of things do you know the word tells us to not steal God's glory to not put ourselves in the place of God's glory to not glorify our flesh ourselves do you believe we live in a culture today that glorifies the self we even have a very common term for it right we call it selfies and we're not even living if we can't take a selfie we i have found some people they didn't even do something if they don't have a selfie to prove it right and 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 usually in the selfie you're you're showing something else but it always seems like you are the center of the selfie (laughs) right and now it's not enough just to have selfies now we got filters for the selfies so that we can, we can look like different people because we don't want to always look like the person that we are. And so in some ways, that that is that is this concept of glorifying the self, glorifying ourself. And if we're not careful, we can glorify our desires. We can glorify our, our own lives. We can glorify all sorts of things ahead of God. God will not take second place in our lives. You can steal man's hearts if you're not careful from god or from other people or other directions we can we can put stumbling blocks before people we take what is not ours we we are not we are not god we, we rely upon God to provide for our needs. We work, we labor, we do everything we can, but we trust in God. And, and then if we try to force things into happening, oftentimes what it boils down to is we steal from God's glory and God's plan. Amen. We steal from our futures, our future generations. That's part of the reason it troubles me and many like me in our in our american culture right now and it's not just one side it's both sides of the aisle politically we are far too easily determined to steal from future generations for whatever we want in the moment whatever is politically expedient take what is not ours take pensions from people that have laid them up for years we devalue the dollars that people are depending on when they're going to retire and we devalue that in order to to take care of our own selfish desires. And then people that have labored their whole life in order to be able to have some things as they as they finish their working career. Then all of a sudden what they thought would buy a, a loaf of bread won't even buy a piece of gum. Because we have stolen from our futures. Come on somebody. Anybody anybody, hearing that? That, that? We, we need to hear this and we need to understand. The Lord says thou shall not steal. Third thing. And and some of the they're pretty self-explanatory, so I'm not gonna just take forever. You shall not bear false witness. A really easy way to say that is don't lie. Don't lie. It's deeper than that, but don't lie. Don't bear false witness. We most, especially if you're raised in church, we're probably taught from the very beginning. Uh, from early on in your life, if you were raised in church, Revelation 21 and 8. Anybody ever remember hearing that? All liars shall have their place in the lake of fire. Don't, don't lie. Lying. It, you, can, you can write this down. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 and verse number 9. Let me, let me get over there. Colossians 3, verse number 9. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And let me just take this into the concepts that Jesus would have taken it to. Lying also can be encompassed in all manners of deception. Well, I didn't really lie. Amen. It was just deceptive. I just only gave so much information. Well, God knows your heart. Right? God knows our heart. God knows what we're doing it for, what the reasons really are. So, so don't be deceptive in your dealings. Deal honestly with one another, truthfully with one another. Don't lie. Don't lie to yourself. Do you know what a part of lying is? Rumor and gossip. Do you know that's a part of lying? Passing along rumors and gossip. You know why that's a part of lying? Because you don't know the whole story. So you're bearing false witness. You, you, you're telling things you don't know. Well, I've heard. Well, someone else might have heard something differently. So obey God and, and don't lie. And, and because lying can destroy reputations. Amen? It can destroy lives. We've got dilemmas going on among our young people. Where with this trend of social media, you've got a group that will not like a person and they will just ravage them online. I mean, they'll tell them they are ugly, they're no good, they're not nobody likes them, nobody cares for them, they should just take their own life, they should just get out of everybody's way. And we've got a dilemma with kids that have been lied to by their peers that end up taking their own life and harming themselves or having a, a terrible self image because someone has borne false witness against them. Amen. It's time to teach these things again. You can destroy reputations. And then the last one. Shall not covet. The word covet will carry with it the meaning of envy. Jealousy. Right? Don't be envious of others. Somebody drives to church and they've got them a new car. If you can't be genuinely happy for them, then you have just operated in jealousy and envy. Amen. Now, y'all were, y'all were shouting real loud. but well, Not really, but y'all were amening a little more when I was talking about adultery. All of a sudden, it's gotten kind of quiet in here. This is one of them too. This is one of the ten. Don't covet. Thank you. This is one of them, guys. Well, I don't know what they do to deserve that. Oh. What, who are you to worry about it? Right? I'm happy for them. Praise God. Right? Because God, hey, if God bless them, then I've got a chance he might bless me. Amen. He shall not covet. Don't be jealous. Don't, don't. Covet and be jealous and envious of other people's giftedness. Right? Other people's positions. Just trust God. Live free in Christ. Live for God. And you will live a happy life. You can look up Proverbs 14 and 30. You can look up Galatians 5, 26. The works of the flesh there. And you'll see... As the New Testament also then covers this, do not covet, do not envy, do not lead to jealousy. Do not allow it in your relationships. Don't don't look. Have you ever noticed it's when you look at the outside at somebody else's life, it always looks so much better than it probably really is. You know why that is Because not everybody goes around just showing you the worst about their life. They don't want to think about it. Why would they want to portray it to you all the time? You only see the brushed up version, the cleaned up version. So why would you be envious? David struggled with this, King David. David said, God, why do the wicked prosper? That's not fair. Well, I see people that are struggling while the wicked prosper. Godly people, they're kind of muddling through and fighting their way through. And the wicked seem to prosper. But that's not not ours to see. What if that's the only reward they have? Hell awaits and their only reward is that one moment that we get envious and jealous about and covet. Amen. Okay, now, let's get this last part. That's the ten. I me know those are pretty tight, pretty hard, and hit us all? I, uh, nobody's exempt because we're all flesh. Nobody's exempt. If you live in the flesh, you are not exempt to these ten. We may all have different ones we struggle with, but we all struggle in some way, shape, or form with this thing called flesh. I want you to turn with me to the book of Romans, the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. I, in preparing for this, this lit me on fire. Romans chapter 8, and we we had to get to this point, and we had to go through those 10, and I know those 10 are tough, and and sometimes we don't want to hear that. We don't want to face that. But if, we, if you've lasted through these ten and you can come to this point, we're going to, we're going to bring this all together now. And I'm going to show you the grace of God. Romans 8, verse number 1. We know this verse pretty well. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for, the, for who? For those who are what? In Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now we, we focus on the no condemnation part, but but that's just setting something up here. For those that do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. Verse 2. Now watch this. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Let's look at verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, I want you to listen to this. There is, according to Paul, uh, the word here, Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse number 2, there is a law of the Spirit for this life in Christ Jesus. There is a law. It's not a suggestion. It is a law. Just like these are the Ten Commandments. Just like the Old Covenant was the law. There is a law of the Spirit for this life in Christ Jesus. There is a law for this life that we now live. Let me tell you this. Satan or even flesh cannot stop this law when it is applied. Verse 3, verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So, there is a law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 3, there is a law of sin and death. But watch this. In verse 4, I'm sorry, in verse 3, for what the law is could not do in that it was weak through the flesh we see now there is a law that's different than the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus different than the law of sin and death and it is the law that we see portrayed in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant and it is the law of God's righteousness, God's holiness, God's Perfect. That old law, you know that's what it was? It was God saying to mankind, If you're going to live righteous before me, there it is. You've got to live these. But the law could not bring the life the Spirit can bring in Christ Jesus because of the weakness of the flesh. And in the flesh, all flesh, there is a law of sin and death. From the time of Adam and Eve until today that we are living in. There is a law in this flesh. And it is the law of sin and death in the flesh. It dwells in our flesh. Now watch what, watch what is said here. And I'm going to do my best to get this all tied up and made clear for you. Because watch what he says in verse 3. Look at the last phrase of verse number 3. Jesus condemned sin. Where? in the flesh it's condemned into the flesh amen it, it's there it's condemned he defeated it it's in the flesh but it's defeated and and the law that we read that Old Testament the reason the the reason people could never live out the old covenant law is because they were trying to complete it, In their flesh, which was weak and had sin condemned in it, they couldn't do it. No matter how hard they tried, no matter what fences they put around it, they could not live up to God's standard. How many would agree with that? Israel could never keep God's law. They never did. Do you know how I know they never did? Because they had to offer sacrifices for sin daily, a yearly atonement. Consistently, they had to do it. Why? Because sin was in the flesh. And there's a law of sin and death that dwells in the flesh. That's the whole reason these flesh bodies are going to die. Because there's a law that's condemned into the flesh that, that it's the law of sin and death. And so, therefore... Okay, go with me back, Romans 7, and and let me read to you verses 23 and 24. Romans 7, verse 23 and 24. Paul writes, and he's just said, he's spent this whole time saying, those things I want to do, I don't find myself doing. Those things I don't want to do, that's the very stuff that I end up doing. But look at verse 23, Romans 7, 23. But I see another law in my members. Now watch this. Warring against the law of my mind. He he was raised a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He knew the law probably better than anybody alive at that time, Uh, outside of probably those Pharisees. They would all know this law. And Paul is saying that, that I see another law in my flesh that's warring against the law of my mind. I've got the law in my mind. I know it. I can rehearse it. But there's this war going on and it's bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members because the more I don't want to do it I do it because my flesh is weak and I can't stop and he says in verse 24 oh wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death verse 25 oh but I thank god through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I serve the law of God. But with the flesh, it's the law of sin. But if I live in Christ, I walk in the Spirit. And I walk in the freedom of the Spirit. That it brings about the law of freedom and and Spirit and life in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The mindset of the flesh tries to beat, you try to beat the mindset of the flesh, the sin that is in the flesh, with the obedience to the Mosaic law, the righteous law of God, and you cannot. You only discover there's two natures alive in me. There's what I want to do and what I do. And I can't ever reconcile these and I can't overcome these, but... Those in the Spirit live by the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's the new nature. And in the new nature is victory. Now let's, uh, Romans 8, I read to you down through verse number 4. Verse 5 and 6, he lays it out. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you try to win this battle... Between your mind and your flesh, and trying to force obedience into this righteous law of God. That old law was righteous, it was God's law. This is what it would take. But if you are just trying by obedience and by hammering your flesh into submission, in order, you will never live in victory. Verse 9 But you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let me, let me see if I can sum this up as quickly as, as I possibly can. Because here's what we find. Here's what we see. These ten and all of that law points us to the fact that in the flesh, it's impossible to please God. We, we can tell, you tell a kid... Don't eat the cookie. From that moment until you finally relent, they're going to try to eat the cookie. I mean, that's that's just all there is to it. You can whip them, you can punish them, and they're still going to try to eat the cookie. Because that's the flesh nature. And that's what, that's what so many people, you're, we're trying to live victorious in Christ by making our flesh submit to the laws that we know are right. We know it's righteous. We know that old, old covenant and those Ten Commandments and all the laws that support it. We know it's God's righteousness. It's God's holiness. It's God's way. But in our flesh, sin has reigned, and it's a constant battle. But God sent His own Son in the likeness of flesh so that He would condemn sin in the flesh, that He would give us life. He died. When we come to Christ, we die with Him. We die to sin. And then He raises us to life again. And if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Pastor, how do I do that? By looking to Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith by loving Him, keeping our focus upon Him, staying in His Word, living for Him every day. The Bible says if you do sin, you've got an advocate with the Father, so you acknowledge. But that should never become our desire. Our desire should live free, but we know we can't do it on our own, so it causes us to keep looking to Christ and letting the Spirit of God bring Him His life to us. Amen. So while we look at the 10, and we could go into all the laws that the old covenant would lay out, and and all the ceremonial laws, all the sacrificial laws, all the other laws, it all says, this is what it would take, but you can't do it. But Jesus fulfilled it. He paid the price for it. And if you'll live in Christ, not only will you walk in all of these that are God's righteousness, but you will walk in full freedom of the Spirit. And Christ can even raise your mortal body so that you can now offer obedience unto the Father. And in your flesh you can please God. Does that sound better to anybody? That sounds a whole lot better to me than me trying to play God. Because if I try to play God, then I start saying, well, that, that, that's just too hard. Well, that, that just, that's not right. Or, Well, other people don't believe this, and so I'll just take that out. I'll focus more on this area. Well, I'll, I'll focus more on that area. And none of that leads to freedom. We walk in Christ. The word even tells them in the New Testament. The word even tells believers when they come out and they come unto Christ. This says if you're going to go back into the law, if, if you're going to fight to keep any of it, you got to keep every bit of it. It's not a condemnation of the law. It's a way of telling people you couldn't do it the first time, you can't do it this time. Live in Christ. Live in grace. Live in freedom love him serve him give yourself to walk in the spirit remain spiritually minded and don't fulfill the lust of the flesh cuz as soon as you start the battle again between the flesh and the mind you lose let me let me see if i can say this this way and i'm stuck i'm done we have a world. Now, I'm not talking about the world. The world is lost. But we have a church world today. That, that, that they are trying to determine in their own minds what it means to keep the law, live in the law of God, and to, and to walk for God. And all that does, as they try to determine it in their mind is it turns up that battle between the mind and the flesh and that sin that's condemned into this flesh. But there's only going to be one way that we never deal with this flesh again. And that is when we are changed. When we, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when this mortal puts on immortality, And we are no longer in this flesh, but we are transformed. We are changed. Then that flesh nature is done away with. But until then, if we try to engage the battle with our mind, our thoughts, our ways, our labors, our then we fight the the mind and the flesh are constantly at bat, and and you will lose every time. Victory only comes. Through Christ. And what He accomplished. And the Spirit was sent. Jesus said, I won't leave you comfortless. I'll send one just like me. And when He comes, He will direct you to me. He will point you to me. He will take what is mine and He will declare it unto you. He will teach you. He will lead you. He will empower you. He will walk in you. If we will focus. (laughs) Amen. On the grace of God, through Christ Jesus, we'll put faith in Him. We'll deal with the hard things that our flesh wants to fight against and our mind wants to wrap itself and choose what we like and don't like. if, if If we will just come and say, I lay all that at your feet, Lord, and I just want to be yours. I give my life to you. You live through me. If we will do that, we will live daily in victory. It's there. It's important we know those 10 and the other laws, that's the righteousness of God. It points to the fact that when we are struggling with those, that means our flesh is raging again. But that's not the time to engage. Amen, your mind and try to serve God with your mind. It's time to engage spiritually. And say, Lord, I come to you, and I need you all over again. Because I can't do it. When I am weak, Paul writes, he is strong. Amen. And in my weakness, I find strength. I hope I hope somehow you can hear that. I was reading that, and I was studying that. And it's like, and I, I've read it, I've, I've taught on it, I've preached it, but it was like all of a sudden, it going through this series on this on the ten and talking about this and talking about the law and battling our way through this. All of a sudden, it was like, that's it. That's our hope. That's the answer. That's our victory. Christ did it. And I live in this flesh. And in my flesh dwells all of this stuff. But I don't have to win the battle against the flesh with my mind. And do it. I walk in the Spirit, and then He will lead me on how to discipline my body. And I can now make my body a living sacrifice unto Him. Amen? And be pleasing to Him. How many want to live pleasing to the Lord? Everybody stand to your feet with me. So the ten tells us these are God's moral righteous laws. And you can can break them down. You You can dig into them. And they're going to tell you everything you need about this flesh nature. So that you will recognize when you're stepping out of the grace of Christ, out of, the, out of the law of the spirit of this life in Christ Jesus. And you're stepping back in either to the law of sin and death and obe- obeying your flesh. Or you're stepping back into the law that in your mind you're trying to live out. You'll be able to tell the difference. And when you do, you need to come back into the spirit and life through Christ. Let's pray together. And let's ask the Lord. To awaken us. To life in Christ. The new nature. The new man. Victory. And peace. Let's pray. Father we come to you today. Lord I'm sharing this with people and including myself that in our flesh the old sin nature is so strong and that failure that it brings is there And, Lord, we understand that your righteous laws can only be lived in victory. Not through the law of our mind, the law fighting against the law that's in our members, but only when we give our life to Jesus and the law of the Spirit. Of the life in Christ Jesus comes alive in us. For there is victory. There's the new man. That's the new creation. The new creature where old things have passed away. And all things become new. And the old battles that I couldn't win. They are left in that old life. Because in this new creation. The battles already won. And I live in you Jesus. And I walk in your spirit, and I trust you. Lord, help us to hear this, and help us to apply this, and help us to give our life completely unto you so that we can live in absolute victory, and we can share this victory, this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with our world. Because, Lord, this will change our desires. This will change our outlook. This will change everything about us. Because the old is passed away. And then the new would lead us to victory. Father, we love you. We thank you. And let us live this life. Loving you. Loving our neighbors as ourselves, serving Christ, giving all because Jesus paid the price for us. And by doing so, we will fulfill all the law and the prophets in Christ Jesus. We honor you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.